Hello, and welcome to this episode of Alderney, the Devil's Rock, a podcast in which we explore the folklore of the tiny, spectred Isle of Alderney in the English Channel, told through the medium of ghost stories and essays on weird history and a bit of our own experiential research. The tales are taken from the hyperbolic investigations of Dr Lazarus Ravenscroft and myself, Ulysses Black, two natives of Alderney and two lifelong cryptotheologists, as we've come to call ourselves. Two words of warning before we start. First, some listeners might find the tales herein uncomfortably horrifying and others laughably tame. And second, though not loaded with adult content, there is the occasional expletive, particularly from our more raucous sources, and the even more occasional reference to sexual matters. Information on the book and other episodes can be found at either www.ulyssesblack.com or our Patreon for this project at patreon.com forward slash ulyssesblack, all one word. Okay. That's enough of that. Let's dive into this week's encounter with The Devil's Rock. This week's offering from The Devil's Rock is perhaps one of the most famous of the mysterious locations and sort of mythological points on the island, The Devil's Chair. Now, The Devil's Chair is very much a real thing, and people can go and visit it, uh, and it has fantastic stories around it. So... I'm going to be presenting this week uh, the chapter called The Devil's Chair from our book, Alderney, The Devil's Rock, which is an essay about that feature. Let's get into it. The Devil's Chair Clonk is a curious beach, if beach it can so be called. Perhaps wretched shoreline is more appropriate. Jutting up from the endless mire of blackened rock, slaked by treacherous kelp, we find one of the island's more enigmatic monuments. The Devil's Chair is a curiously formed rock, relentlessly ravaged by the cruel waters of the Swinge, It stands proudly aloft, towering above its neighbouring boulders. It is only possible to identify the location of the rock at low tide, and one must be standing at shore level. Approaching the Devil's Chair is a game for the agile, the quick-witted, and the foolhardy. Clonk is a dangerous shoreline. At low tide, the waters recede to reveal a plateau of razor-sharp rocks whose biting teeth must have over the years lacerated the ankles of many ignorant juvenile rock pullers. Having survived the scramble over the terrain thus far, one arrives to find the rock, recognisably chair-shaped, standing 
as a sentinel. It casts a watchful eye over the devil's acre that is Baru. The finest and darkest blue granite reaches up from the bedrock, enticing yet strangely repellent. In unheard whispers it gently croons a mournful siren song. But that song is cracked. Amidst the parish records held at St Mary's Church, allegedly appears a collection of diaries written by the most senior cleric during the early 1800s, who we feel it likely to have been Dr Ubel, island vicar around this time. Uh, the existence of these diaries is apparent only by dint of a paper published in La Société Guernsiaise, wherein one Eric Godian claims to have read an account of the cleric's disgust at uncovering the reality of a brutal execution of a monk some two generations before the time of writing. Godian then describes the tale as noted by the cleric. The essential details we shall faithfully relay here. Despite numerous less-than-polite requests and acts that may, under the light of a full moon, be considered criminal. We have failed to gain access to those diaries that may prove the tale they allegedly describe. The only surviving testament to its validity is the establishment of the stone's other name, the enigmatic The Monk's Chair. And there is a footnote here saying that the name is documented in Kendrick's work on the island, where, curiously, a note records that Lucas, who, um, off the top of my head, I think was an archaeologist, was taken to visit the stone by another individual, also curiously called Godium. Anyway, back to the main essay. In some recent years, corroborating material has surfaced when a friend of the author's was attending to maintenance in the attic of his family home, Clonk Cottage. To his surprise, and evoking a perverse nostalgia, our friend had unwittingly stumbled on a clutch of island images. Amongst them, and seemingly dating from the 17th century, two rudimentary woodcuts crudely depict the sadistic execution of one of the island's holy men, his soul cast aside by an ancient religion that refused to adhere to his humble and pious preachings. We hope and pray he has made his way to the pearly gates, although if local tradition is to be believed, his tortured spirit will continue to roast as an eternal guest of the pit. One fateful winter's morning, when the tide was at its lowest and the sickly swollen orb of the moon hung pendulously in the sky like a pestilent testicle, twelve men and women of influence converged on the shoreline. Among their number, swathed in tattered rags, a delirious foreigner, a mainlander and a man of the cloth, who spat forth his impolite prayers. Such an undertaking must have played heavily on the conscience of those few gathered on the beach as they contemplated their dreadful task. In the eyes of this wretch's lord, they were about to commit a most grievous sin, and they certainly knew it. We can only speculate, but those passing minutes must have felt like hours for the notable islanders watching on with gut-churning complicity as the crumpled body of the monk was forcefully escorted to his destiny. 
What the records tell us, and the basic woodcut found in the cottage suggest, is a tale of tragedy, of blinkered island intolerance, the persistent faith in monsters, and maybe a little misconstrued pride in local tradition. Through the lens of time, and placed in an appropriate chronological context, this fateful day became a pivotal event that condemned whatever remained of the purity in the people's hearts. It seems that here we may perceive the ghoulish touch of the farmers group. It's something uh, we discuss as part of the revelations of the book a little bit later in a chapter entitled The Gentleman. Anyway, bound to the chair, the holy man would have struggled in vain as he sought to escape the inescapable. Within a matter of hours, as the inky waters of the swinge began to rise, the priest would have stared God in the eyes. In the duress of an act so atrocious, it seems impossible that God would have been looking back upon this hapless martyr. And what came for him that day as he stared out at the Devil's Acre was not the God of civilised man, but the archaic horror from which the island derives its fiendish moniker. As the tide receded, the stories tell us, the rocky throne remained, now empty of its occupant. The man who once decried hellfire and damnation had been taken, body and soul, by the infernal profundity that claims dominion over Aldney. This one surviving account implies, but does not confirm, that this type of incident was not unique. What seems likely is that the chair played a more active role in the spiritual well-being of the townsfolk, and might possibly have been employed within the traditions of the Bonefire, which were located, I guess, probably about 200 metres, maybe less, uh, to the west. What seems certain is that on occasion the Devil's Acre of Baru the small island directly across the swinge from the devil's chair, demanded a little more than fire from its cowering custodians. For what reason might the apparently innocent island of Baru be so associated with the source of absolute evil? That such an association is held by islanders of all ages seems so commonplace as to bypass scrutiny, and yet so flagrant and nefarious are the atrocities seemingly perpetrated toward placating some force on the uninhabitable isle, we found ourselves scouring the pages of the history books, until we came upon the following. It is mentioned briefly in the introductory section, but it is certainly worth revisiting this fascinating entry from the stylus of a Roman visitor to the island in AD 43. A Roman author named Demetrius, after describing a visit he made to Britain in the suite of Emperor Claudius in the year 43, says, Among the islands which lie adjacent to Britain, some are desert, known by the name of the Isles of Heroes, or of Demons. Being desirous of seeing these islands, I embarked in the suite of the Emperor, who was about to visit the nearest of them, Alderney. He found thereon but few inhabitants, and those were accounted sacred and inviolable. Saturn is imprisoned 
on a neighbouring isle where he reposes, chained in a glittering rock with golden fetters, under the guardianship of Briarius, and surrounded by a host of heroes, or illustrious dead, who attend upon him. Uh, this is from uh, page 21 to 22 of the book by Edith Carey. So, in the light of this, and drawing direct correlations with the island folklore, the neighbouring isle to which this account refers is, of course, Baru. There are supposedly a number of caves upon the islet of Baru which purportedly connect the rocky haven to the mainland via subsea tunnels, which would seem very implausible given the swinge, uh, the violent churning water that passes between the island and Alderney. There is, however, very clearly one cave on Baru and that most certainly is the cave in which the Titan Saturn is allegedly bound in glittering golden chains. Continuing with our essay here, we note that the caves of Baru are referred to in a book by Sir Admiral James Sumarez, um, 1757 to 1836, in his 1830 work Annals of Some of the British Norman Isles. In his writing on the matter, it is clear the notable Baron de Saumarez of Guernsey, that being an accolade apparently bestowed on the Admiral in Plymouth in 1831, is advised against visiting these caves, further adding to the mystery. The most probable cave to which this refers is located on the northern side of the island. I'm not sure why I said the northern side. It's, I think that must be a typo, because... The most probable cave to which this tale refers is located on the southeastern side of the island, with ingress only possible at the equinoctial low tide, allowing the adventurous to climb inside and up into an area above sea level. Torches and good footwear are absolutely essential, we note here, although... The last time we visited the cave, because we have been there many times, as soon as you get to the mouth of the cave, which I should say absolutely reeks, uh, the cave itself, the, the, the floor of the cave, is now just filled with uh, pools of water of which you just cannot tell how deep they are. No, a good torch will shine all the way down the length of the cave and expose the larger chamber that is at the back. I think actually you need like an inflatable boat or something to go get across there now. Anyway, the reference to Saturn in the text from this Roman Demetrius gives us the Latin incarnation of, of course, Satan, the devil. It is from this figure that we might surmise an early link with Baru and the name The Devil's Acre. It is amazing to find another reference that so clearly links the cloven hoofed one with Baru, the island next to Alderney over which he is supposed to reign, meeting out judgment on the souls of the dead as they leave the shores of Alderney, bound for the afterlife. So there's a certain cruel parody between the myth of Satan or Saturn 
being bound to a rock with glittering chains in this cave on Baru, and that of the islanders binding living offerings to a stone facing Baru, the Devil's Acre, where this titan is allegedly constrained. Finally, in order to complete a basic assessment, we can remark that Briarius, whom is allegedly guarding the fettered devil, is another figure from Greco-Roman myth and is considered a 50-headed demon of sea storms. His presence is particularly associated with massive sea waves, and this last point fits nicely with our understanding of the currents of the swinge, whilst anyone who has spent any time down at Bray Harbour will be familiar with the horrifying boom that accompanies the vision of colossal, indeed titanesque waves that break over the breakwater, it is easy to understand why the inhabitants of the island might have thought a sea demon was dwelling on Baru, sending his angry waves across the swinge to pummel the northwestern face of the Devil's Rock. So, finally, we have an advisory note that we thought only suitable to include about the devil's chair. Here we go. Find the chair by all means and offer a token prayer to those plundered from it. But do not, under any circumstance, be it curiosity or wager, ever even consider sitting upon this cursed throne. Too many have been lost to its treacherously fickle grasp, and the bottomless swinge is a ravenous mistress. Uh, both myself and Ravenscroft, having visited the chair many times over our lives, have genuinely never ever sat upon it, and uh, only one person we know has, and that one person probably could take on the devil in a fist fight let's just leave it at that um, if you wish to visit the beautiful island of Baru you must check with the authorities at what dates visitors are allowed to disembark at certain times of the year under a transparent ruse of avian sanctuary the small island enjoys a certain lockdown uh, for which uh, foreigners are not allowed to set foot on the island at this time, only very specific islanders are allowed to make sure, and it's not public knowledge why they do that. Let's just put it at that. Uh, if you plan to stay on Baru overnight, we have one last Fortean consideration. The small hut on the island is believed to be the remnants of a tiny Christian hermitage, and as a result is the only consecrated ground on the island. If rumours are to be believed, one should not venture outside the shack after sunset or before sunrise. Furthermore, we have it on advice of the most stern kind, not under any circumstances to open the door during the hours of darkness. Even if under the pretense of the most charitable causes, 
the things upon the Devil's Acre are unlike those of mortal man, and at such times our vulnerabilities, already amplified by all manner of macabre sensations, are ruthlessly exploited by those that serve a different master. Keeping it quite ambiguous there because it's a very strange place, Baru, and I do not know a single person that has visited the Devil's Acre and not come away with tales of very, very strange nature. Maybe we'll do uh, maybe we'll do an episode just on uh, experiences on Baru. Maybe that's a good idea. Anyway, that is the Devil's Chair. Uh, I will try and include a picture of it in the show notes. And thank you very much for listening. That was a reading from Alderney, The Devil's Rock, by myself and my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lazarus Ravenscroft. If you like what you heard and you want to support this a bit further, then please head over to Patreon, where you can sign up to my Patreon account. Uh, that is www.patreon.com slash Ulysses Black, all one word, where you'll find a specific tier entitled Denizens of the Devil's Rock. And it would be great to hear your comments and feedback. Either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks ever so much for listening. <laughs>